Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Uh, This episode, selfishly for me, is going to be one of my favorites before I uh, even get going on it. Uh, It's been something that uh, I've been highly anticipating, uh, both because of the human being that is on the other side of this audio and video, uh, but also because of the influence that what uh, his writings have had on the last 12 months of my life. Uh, Many of you know that uh, just recently, I released a uh, top list of uh, favorite books in 2019, and uh, one of those books, I'm, uh, I'm showing some of my cards here early, but one of those books was The Go-Giver by Bob Berg, and um, <clears throat> it, it had such a great impact on me. I know we're going to talk about that today, and uh, it was something that was well-received in the sense that I think I had 50 or 60 requests for a copy of the book that I'm going to be distributing throughout the year to people that have asked for them. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm really excited to have Bob today. If you don't know, uh, Bob is a sought-after speaker, uh, speaking on company leadership, he speaks at sales conferences, and he's sharing that platform with some of today's most prominent business leaders and broadcast personalities even with a former U.S. president, and we're going to ask him about that. Um, He is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, influence. He sold over a million copies. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And the book that I shared, The Go-Giver, has sold over 900,000 copies and been translated into 28 languages. Uh, And uh, Bob just uh, recently released uh, the newest in the series called The Go-Giver Influencer. We're going to talk about that one as well. And so with that lengthy introduction, Bob Berg, welcome so much to the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Hey, Ryan. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So when you're introduced, how old does that get? You've heard it so many times. Uh, I I mean, you know. (laughs) You're right. I mean, <laughs> but the person hearing it hasn't, I guess. So I don't know. It's really not about me. It's about the listener. So, no. you know, it, it's a shame that you say that. And I, I guess that's a really good spot to jump into. So um, I have been in the professional world for, let's see, about 21 years and have come across some fantastic reads uh, from Covey and Carnegie and you know things that were very influential in shaping my career early, which were great. Um, but the shame was, was I was not introduced to the go-giver until about 14 months ago. And I don't even know how that happened. Um, it's just, uh, it's been so instrumental to me. And so uh, I want to start off, I guess, by just saying thank you. Uh, for the influence that you have had and the way you've impacted myself personally, my business. I mean, it, you, you've just done a phenomenal job. So thank you. Well, thank you. That really touches my heart. That's a, just an amazing thing to hear. Yeah. Um, so um, as it relates to the go-giver, I, I'm really interested. So, um, and, and we'll share a little bit on topic and content, but what was the drive into... Uh, into writing that book because at face value, when I tell a lot of people my um, uh, very quick 
overview of, you know, uh, living this life of adding value uh, without asking anything in return, um, that, that just doesn't do it justice. But it's just such a simple topic in one sense. And yet, what led you to really dig into that and desire to spend so much time uh, investing into writing a book like that? Well, uh, you know, back in the mid 90s or early 90s, I guess, I had my first book out called um, Endless Referrals. Hmm. And the, the subtitle was Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. It was a traditional how-to book. And it was about how people who are entrepreneurs, salespeople who had or represented a great product or service and believed in it and knew they could bring great value to the marketplace, but they may not have felt comfortable in the process of going out, meeting new people, establishing and cultivating these relationships that would lead to people feeling good about them and wanting to, to do business with them and referring them to others. So it was really a way that in that book, the people could go out there with confidence and really learn how to, to do this. Now, so it was a, you know, it was a successful book and, and, and I'm very happy about that. But for, you know, for years, I'd always read parables, business parables, and I always enjoyed them, whether a, uh, a little bit larger book such as Ogmandino's Greatest Salesman in the World or Classen's Richest Man in Babylon or, hmm. or um, uh, you know, in the, the late 70s or early 80s, Blanchard and Johnson with the one-minute series, one-minute manager, one-minute salesperson, one-minute apology, you know, so forth. And people like Chris Widener, John Gordon, just wonderful, wonderful books that could really connect. So I'd always thought, what if we could take the basic premise of endless referrals, which was that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust, and put that into parable form. And the reason for doing so is that stories connect. They connect on a heart level, uh, different from a how-to book, which are also very important. I have a library full of how-to books. I enjoy how-to books. But let's face it, you know, stories connect on a much deeper level. And uh, so I, I thought I'd love to take that basic premise and, and turn it into a parable. So my first question to myself was really, well, so in titling it, um, coming up with a title, what is it about people who, as I described in the endless referrals, could quickly and sustainably create those know, like, and trust relationships? And the main characteristic is that they are givers. They are people who are focused on bringing value to the lives of others. And so we, we titled it The Go-Giver for that reason. Now, the, the best thing I did for that book, however, was to ask John David Mann to co-author it and be the lead writer and storyteller. And when I say ask, I mean pleaded with, because <laughs> I knew John back then. Not Back then, not everybody knew John. Now, he's the, the co-author and ghostwriter of choice for many uh, celebrities, uh, agents, publishers who need his, his abilities, and it's it, amazing. But back then, few people knew about John. Fortunately, I was one of them who did. And so when I, when I put the, the basic concept uh, past John, uh, he, and actually, you know, it wasn't something he just agreed to right away. He and his wife, actually his fiance at the time, Anna, they drove over across state uh, where they were visiting their mom. We had about a three hour dinner to discuss what the book would be about, what we'd want to do with it and, and where we saw it going. About three weeks later, John called me to say that, that, yeah, you know, let's do this. I think we've got something here. 
So, so yeah, that was the inspiration taking a, and of course the, the premise of the go-giver is simply that shifting your focus from uh, getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others, understanding that not only is it a, a nice way of conducting business, a pleasant way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. You know, not for any woo-woo, la-la, way-way-out reasons, but because <laughs> it actually is very logical, it taps into human nature. When you're that person who, unlike most of the others, who can move from a focus on yourself to a focus on bringing value to others, people feel good about you. They want to yeah. get to know you. They like you. They trust you. Uh, they, they're much more in alignment with you, and they want to do business with you. They want to refer you to others. Yeah. Okay. So, gosh, you touched on so many things there, and I usually have a, a great way of going back, and and yet there was just too many wonderful truths. But but a couple of things that you said in there that <clears throat> I think I can relate to my own story. First of all, I do believe that you know telling um, telling story or writing book in parable uh, is so helpful to so many people. And I think what it does is, is it differentiates the fact that there is a how to on everything today. And I feel like a lot of times when I'm reading a how-to book, even though the author doesn't always intend it to be this way, it's almost as though like I've arrived and I've accomplished and now I'm going to tell you how to do it. And it, it, it can very easily lose a connection and relatability because it's like, I, I want to be that or, or I want to accomplish those things, but I just can't get there. And so it, it leads to, I, when I'm coaching people, this happens a lot. Like it leads to a lot of disappointment and condemnation actually, because it's like, I'm doing all these things and yet I can't be that person. Whereas you write this story and immediately, I think it's so easy to, to relate to, to, to the character of like, I want to do the right thing, but I'm struggling. Um, I've always done things a certain way. Now I need to shift my mindset. And so how do you, um, how do you take that, that telling of a story and try and capture enough of an audience uh, that will relate? I mean, for, for near a million people, um, and I'm sure there's been more than a million people that have read this book with people passing it along and stuff with more than a million people having read this book. I mean, you've attracted a significant audience. And so is there an art form to that? Do you feel like it was because of the way you told the story? Like, what is it that allows that to resonate in a way that the how to, I just don't think does. Well, I think there were a couple of aspects. One, uh, again, as you said, just putting it in story form. Mm -hmm. helps, you know, in, in terms of readership, in terms of number of people who will read a story, a short story, as opposed to a, a traditional how-to book. Um, um, but what happened was, I think that the basic laws or principles we discussed, it, it kind of came at a time where it gave people permission to do business as they really wanted to do business, but had sort of been told or you know, heard that, no, it couldn't be done that way and so forth. And what we said was, no, this is basically, you know, uh, how you can do it, feel great about yourself, bring immense value to others and make a, a lot of money. And because mm -hmm. we don't see a, we don't see a, um, uh, dichotomy in that. 
we see it as, as one as two sides of the same coin. That, that this is why we say that money is simply an echo of value to the degree mm -hmm. that you provide value to other human beings, to the marketplace who willingly buy from you and in a free market-based economy. And when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to do business with anyone else. In a free market economy, you know, nobody's gonna buy from you because you have a quota to meet, okay? Yeah. They're not gonna buy from you because you need the money and they're not even gonna buy from you because you're a really nice person. They're gonna buy from you because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. Which means, and this is good news, because it means the entrepreneur or the salesperson must place their focus on pleasing or bringing value to another human being. Huh. Most people, Ryan, they get into business, they sell what they sell because they believe it's gonna make a difference. As human beings, we strive for purpose. We strive to, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so despite what the media tells you and despite what you hear from all the stuff, uh, in, a, you know, in a, a truly free market, you can only do well by helping others. It's the only way, because otherwise no one's gonna do business with you if they're not forced to. And so I think people wanted to hear that. And they wanted to know that was true, but here's the other thing that happened. And this was kind of the, kind of unexpected only because we didn't think about it, but in retrospect, it makes sense. The early adopters of this book, when it first came out, were the people who didn't need it. They were the people who were already very, very successful, and they had been living their life and conducting business through these principles, because these principles aren't new. They've been around since, so as long as there have been market economies, and as long as people have been you know, from the, from the merchants back in the days of the, uh, the, uh, the richest man in Babylon at, at the bazaars and the trading and the whole, right? About the successful people have always uh, applied these, these principles. Now, they may have done it um, intuitively without even knowing that's what yeah. they were doing. And some people made a study of it and some people were able to teach it to others and others weren't. But, the, but we would hear from CEOs, we'd hear from sales leaders, we'd hear that, you know, this is what I've been trying to tell people, this is what, and your book finally put into work, so they used mm -hmm. us as third-party credibility in a way. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we'd see that hundreds and, and sometimes thousands and over 10,000 uh, in certain cases were going into different companies and organizations. And then the next wave were the people who were introduced to this concept by people who they knew, liked, and trusted. So I think that's really why it, why it took off as it did. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go back to, and I'm just going to placehold this, and hopefully you'll remember if I forget, but I want to go back to this idea of goals. <clears throat> but, but before I do, so um, one of the things that I think you did such a phenomenal job of was you gave me permission to be afraid. And, and I'm going to clarify that. What I mean by that is, um, so I, I'm a, you know, entrepreneur, an individual business owner, like I, my family doesn't eat if I don't hunt and actually kill something, you know, in, in, in the best you mean of ways. If you don't go out and look for people to serve and actually are able to serve some people. I don't <laughs> kill anybody. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I think you serve them. Right back to your language. Well, okay, so, so but, that, but that's part of it, right? So um, I, I have been in sales for over 20 years. And while I always wanted to do the right thing, I had uh, an, an outcome-based approach, right? I, I, I went in with the intention to get something. Uh, even though I wanted to add value, I wanted to help. Sure. Like there was something there. 
And yet, I, when I started reading your book, um, The Go-Giver, um, what I saw was this healthy tension of fear. Like, what do you mean I'm just going to go add value? Like, what if I don't get anything back out of that? Like, what if I, what if this doesn't work? What, what if people don't respond well? What if people don't believe me? And I just so appreciated the, the honesty with which you told that side of the story, because I think that's where a lot of people are at. Like you said, like there are so many, the majority of people are well-intentioned, but the, the, the struggle oftentimes is, is, I mean, if I just go give value and do the right thing, like how long is it going to be before I, I start to get paid for that? So like, yeah. I think this thing's so profound. And, and again, like, I don't think that that is told completely as people are wanting to, to really give themselves over to this. Well, it, sure. And, you know, there are, there are false premises involved that people will have, especially if they haven't read the book and they hear the go-giver, because it sounds, mm -hmm. first of all, that you're just giving yourself away. That's totally <laughs> not at all. Uh, go-givers right. are very profitable. Uh, Go-givers tend to be on the higher end of the scale in terms of their pricing because they're focused on selling on value, not on, on price. When you sell on low price, you're a commodity. When you sell on high value, you're a resource. So we want people being able to communicate value, not playing the, the, the low price game, which is not, it's not productive, it's not profitable, and it's not sustainable. But... I think there's also people like, well, okay, I understand this go-giver, you know, focus on helping the other person once you have the money and you don't need to, you know, to worry, but I need the money right now. I need to, and so the, the false premise is by doing it, focused on focusing on the money, it's going to come shorter. If you focus on bringing value, it's going to be longer. So I would, I would kind of turn that around and ask, you know, let's do a thought experiment and say that you're the prospect. Okay, and I have a product or service and we're about to have a sales conversation. Now, let's say I really need the money, okay? So uh, my focus is on myself and it's on the money. Hmm. Now, I go in there and maybe I ask some questions that I've been taught to ask, but I'm asking that question really so that I can kind of know how to sell you, okay? And, sure. And, um, but I'm probably doing a lot more talking than I am listening because desperate people, you know, kind of do that focus, you know, people, money focused people sort of do that. Um, but when you, when you have an, a question or an objection, I'm probably a tiny bit defensive because that objection is standing in the way of my money. Okay. Um, I probably try to close a little bit too soon because I really need the, okay, and we see that, are you now? By the way, you can sense, you can sense on some level that really, while I might hope to provide you value, my goal is to, the transferring of, of money from your wallet to mine, right? I mean, right. so are you more likely or less likely to buy from me right now? Probably less likely, you know, right. I think would agree. Now, let's say I'm that same person. I still need the money. I'm new and said new to the business. Uh, you know, it's commission based, fee based. I, I need the money, right? But now what I'm going to do is it's not that I'm any less self-interested because the fact is I'm a human being. Of course, I'm self-interested. Mm -hmm. We all are. Um, but I am going to temporarily suspend that self-interest, both because it's the right way to be and it also is more profitable. How? 
Because if I can suspend my self-interest and make you and providing you with ultimate immense value my big focus, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. I go in and now I ask you questions, but now when you answer, I'm listening. I'm listening I, because I want to know what it is you need. See, see, selling is simply, it's nothing more than discovering what the other person needs, wants, or desires and helping them to get it. So I'm listening in order to discover what you need, want, desire. I'm also listening in order to see how can I add insight that maybe he's not even aware of where he needs help because I've studied the business and I know, uh, you know how what I do can possibly help. And we throw around some ideas and we go back and forth, but mainly I'm listening. When you have a question or objection, I welcome it because I realize that probably the objection itself isn't the real objection. It's probably more a manifestation of something of the actual objection because you don't quite know enough yet about what this is and how to, you know. And so what we do is we work together in order to get to the root of the objection so that now we can work through that, okay? Uh, once and only once I truly understand what you need, want, and desire. Now I match the benefits of my product or service with those wants, needs, or desires. And then I close by simply asking you to take action on something that you've already said you want to take action on. But you can tell throughout this process that my goal is bringing value to you. Yep. Are you more likely or less likely to do business with me now? And most people would say more likely. Yeah. So Everything that you said is so true. And yet, the previous example uh, is, is a big challenge that I see in organizations everywhere, sure. which is leadership does not typically, and I'm not gonna say always, but does not typically create an environment that allows for and provides room to be patient in the midst of those conversations. They, like, this is one reason why, like, I have a significant distaste for goals, um, even though, like, I believe they're helpful and beneficial. And, and the problem is, is, like, in an organization for a salesperson, you know, a goal is set for me, typically. Like, I have very little influence into, into what that number looks like. And so, I'm automatically going into every single conversation with the necessity to close a deal in order to make my manager happy, my CEO happy. And so that culture exists, again, not in all, there's some wonderful organizations out there, but it exists in so many companies across this country where it's just all about the number. And so not only does what you have, what you say not happen in the short term, which you end up not closing a lot of those deals, um, but all you end up with is either this churn in the organization or you end up creating bad behaviors that you can never really get out of. Maybe you get some short-term wins, but you have no long-term sustainability. So how do you go into an organization that has that type of culture and how do you begin to, to, to turn the Titanic around uh, to get them to, to respond or do you? Well, first, it, it, it's a leadership issue. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they can, you know, read the book till the cows come home and say, this sounds great. But if they don't really believe it, if they really don't believe in, uh, you know, that type of, um, type of ethos, it, it's just not going to happen. Okay. That won't mm -hmm. be sustainable. 
it just won't won't happen and you'll have people going right back to what they were doing before now let me tell you a story there's a guy named named paul uh his name's paul anderson and paul is now one of our certified go-giver speakers because we have a team of go-giver speakers but paul came into an organization uh and I, I, I won't mention the organization or what they, they sell uh, to protect the guilty, of course, but, but he went <laughs> into you. that organization uh, at a mid-management level and quickly found out that it was the exact type of organization that you're, you were talking about. And they were hurting. They were really hurting. Hmm. And he kind of took the lead and, and they were kind of seeing what he was doing and he was going against protocol in a sense, but he was very successful in his the unit that he had and they were asking him what they didn't he told him hmm. and he started and by the way this was before he read the go-giver he had not learned that that for me it was after he had turned that organization wow. around that he read the go-giver and said basically this is what i did mm -hmm. but he ended up leading and then becoming the you know vice president of sales for that entire organization now he's actually wow. leading another one and doing the same thing with it so uh, it, you know it, it's what it was worth it to the leadership of that company because they saw themselves really going down a hole and uh if something didn't change they were going to be out of business mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that's what it takes unfortunately right and then other organizations they have a leader who built his or her business through doing the very things we talk about in the book mm -hmm. so i don't know that i necessarily go into a lot of organizations who um could really use this, but don't want it because if they don't want it, they're not hiring me to come in. Sure. I've, I go into organizations where they think they're more of a go-giver organization than they maybe are, and hopefully mm. I can help them then get to that next level. But a lot of the ones I speak for tend to be the ones that really do this. And the yeah. message itself is, you know, Berg, come in from a third-party perspective as the author of this book that, you know, we like and tell us what we're doing right, you know? So, yeah, yeah, and then, of yeah. course, I go deeper into the laws than what are in the book and, and, and sure. so forth. But, um, but, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a leadership issue. If, if, if people are, are focused so much on the, on the, and again, please understand, I'm a free market capitalist. I believe in making a real lot of money but the money should be the result of the immense value you've provided to so many people. I'm saying from a very logical, practical standpoint, if you make them too money focused, it's gonna come back to haunt you because people yeah. aren't buying for your reasons. They don't care that you need the money. They're buying for their reasons. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, uh, first of all, I guess this is a good point for me to, to give kind of a, um, a personal success story because at this point, uh, some of my audience is going to uh, have known who Bob is, followed, connected, uh, now read uh, The Go-Giver as a result of them doing it or me giving it to them. But for those that haven't and are listening to this already, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't know about this whole thing. So I just want to give a quick success story here for myself. So, uh, at the end of 2018, rolling into 2019, so again, I'm a coach, a consultant, and I do some paid speaking, a few free deals every once in a while. And I read your book at the end of 2018. I'm pretty sure that's when it was. And I decided that I was going to go all in on this. Like I was going to give value to the, and I go to these crazy extremes. I was going to go so far in giving value that I was going to give value without asking for anything in return. 
of every relationship that I came into contact with. And I made that statement known publicly from the get-go in 2019. And I was broadcasting that when I spoke on LinkedIn, in, even in like prospect interactions. I am 100% truthful in saying that 2019, after eight years of being in business, was by far the most successful year financially and just from a professional fulfillment standpoint that I have ever had. And on top of that, because I felt like that really didn't even begin to quote unquote kick in until I had been practice, practicing it for six, nine months, though I thought I was doing it all my life, it, came, it, it, it worked so well unintentionally that I've already booked more business in the first quarter of 2020 Ooh. than I did in all of 2019. And yeah, and, and so when I, when I would say to people like, you know, I just want to help you. It, it, I had to prove myself so that, you know, that took some time, but I just want people to know that like, if you are patient, if you add value and you are doing the right thing, it will come back around in ways I believe that you can't even begin to imagine for yourself. So Bob, that's on you. Thank you. <laughs> story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, I, I read somewhere, maybe it was in um, uh, another thing that I read on you, but you talk a lot about the fact that this idea of adding value, giving first is really a, uh, I don't want to say my words, a basic concept of human nature. So maybe expand on that a little bit, because I think, again, like relating to how maybe people behave in the rest of their life will allow them to understand how this comes into the professional world. Yeah, well, you know, Dale Carnegie in his classic How to Win Friends and Influence People, it's such a magnificent book. It's a classic for a reason. And I think one thing he said in that book was really the underlying premise of it all. And I thought it was brilliant, okay? And he said, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. And when you understand that, you understand the basic element of human nature. Now, uh, a, a, a man who I considered a great mentor years ago, uh, Harry Brown, he, uh, he was probably one of the, the greatest students of human nature I ever, ever met. He was a, a, really a wonderful, fantastic guy. And, um, you know, and he was a big believer that successful people deal in truths, which means they, they, they understand, they study, they respect human nature. They don't try to change people now, and they don't try to change human nature now. That doesn't mean you just settle for what is and don't try to change things, no. What it means is you begin with truth. You begin where it is and you work from there in order to advance things, in order to advance the world, in order to advance your and others' situation. So. Harry says, you know, the, the, the human nature, why people do things is based on, on three points, okay? And, and it takes all three of them to make sense of it, okay? Number one is that everyone seeks happiness. Now, um, that's the only time Harry would ever say everyone or no one, because the fact is we're all individuals. But in this case, it's just, yeah. it's an element of human nature. Everyone seeks happiness. People do what they believe will make them happy. 
not every action brings happiness. Individuals make mistakes, but every act is, is, is aimed at bringing one closer to happiness. Now, let's define happiness, though, because happiness is one of those words that it can be looked at, it can be seen different ways, and it's always important to check our premises, define our terms, so we're all facing the same direction. The definition Harry used was very much a dictionary definition, which is happiness is the mental feeling of well-being. Hmm. The mental feeling of well-being. So with that in mind, number one, everyone seeks happiness. Now, number two, happiness is relative. Hmm. We understand as individuals, we all understand happiness differently individually, which means we place different values on different things. In other words, what would bring, what would bring happiness to one person would be absolutely meaningless to someone else or might even cause them unhappiness. Yep. However, as human beings, we tend to see the world through our own eyes, through our own viewpoints, our own belief systems, our own, um, uh, you know, our own paradigms, if you will, our models. So we tend to think that the way we see the world is the way everyone else does, which is intuitive. It makes sense. Why We don't know anything else. As a salesperson, if you've ever heard a salesperson show something and say, see, what I really love about this is, well, the fact is you may love that about it, but that doesn't mean the other person does. So we sometimes assume that what we would find valuable, whether it's the price or the terms of the, or the make or the model or the this or the that, is what someone else would. We don't know that. That's why asking questions is so important to understand what would make them happy, okay? So we know everyone seeks happiness. Happiness is relative. And then number three, resources are limited. Now, that should not be confused with lack thinking or anti-prosperity. No, we live in an sure. abundant universe. But as individuals, we all have a limit in terms of time. Right. We have so many hours in a day or so many days in a week, so many weeks in a month. Right. We, we all have a limited amount of time, money, energy, wisdom, knowledge, ability. Right. Talent. Right. So we must constantly trade out one for the other, depending on what would make us happy in terms of how we. So we're constantly throughout the day making choices. Some of them are conscious. Many of them are unconscious. But every choice. And in terms of human nature, every time your prospective customer or client decides to buy from you or not buy from you or refer you or not refer you or what have you, they're doing it based on human nature because they believe it, the chances are that it will make them happier based on how they understand happiness and based on the limited choices they believe they have. Yeah. Gosh, there was so many nuggets of information <laughs> information there. I just, I think again, like that is so key to understanding every relationship we have, right? Like Covey says, seek first to understand and then be understood. You know, it is, it's understanding, you know, where people are at. And, and so I, I believe that is just so, so fantastic. Okay, so fast forward many years and you write a book on influence and we live in a day and age in which uh so many people trying to use forget to use my not use my everyone and anyone's so many people 
are seeking influence. People are being paid ridiculous amounts of money because of the influence they have. Some people only being paid money because of the influence they have. And so um, for, for that individual, whether it's in an organization or in a sales position, uh, maybe even a leader stepping into a role, like what are some of uh, the basic or practical steps or tips that you would give to somebody that is seeking influence and has not yet gained it? Well, you're only going to attain influence by helping people get what they want. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it comes down to that. As a leader, what is leadership but, but influence? John Maxwell has often said, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less, right? And, and, um, and so what does an influencer do? Well, first, you know, let, let's define the term influence because I think influence uh, can be looked at on a couple of different levels. On a very basic level, we can define influence as simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. By definition, mm -hmm. that's influence. Now, that's its definition, but it's not... It's not its, its essence. It's not its substance. Mm. John and I believe that the substance or the essence of influence is pull. Pull as opposed to push. Uh, we've all heard the saying, how far can you push a rope? Mm. And the answer is not very far, at least not very <laughs> fast, very effectively, which is why great right. leaders don't push. They don't push their will on others. They don't push their ideas on, each, on others. They, they're not push E, right? You never hear people say, wow, that David or that Joanne, she is so influential. She has a lot of push mm -hmm. with people. No, she has a lot of pull with people. That's what influence is. It's pull, which is really what is pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people first to themselves and then to their ideas. So how, how do they pull? Well, you pull by again, and we go right back to discovering what that other person needs, wants, and desires. How can you bring value to another human being? How do you help them solve their problems? How do you make their lives better? These are the things that a, you know, an influencer does. Uh, which again, just translates into every area of life, right? I mean, I, I think of being a parent to children, you know, <laughs> you can only push your kids for so long until they begin to push back or they completely okay. run in the other direction. Yeah, it's the difference between compliance and commitment, okay? Mm. You can get someone, whether it's your child or whether it's your employee, you can get them to do something by ordering them and making the, you know, the carrot and the stick type of thing. And they may do maybe what they're told, but they'll do only what they're told. They'll do literally what they're told and they'll, they'll do only enough to the point that they don't have to do any more. Okay. That's compliance. It's really, it's not particularly effective. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's certainly not sustainable, but then you've got commitment when you can, can obtain commitment from someone because they've bought into you. They bought into your idea because you've tied that idea with how it benefits them. Now you've, you've come closer to earning that commitment instead of compliance. One of my great friends, leadership uh, speaker and author, Dondi Skumachi, she says that when it comes to leadership, when it comes to influence, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Whew. 
Just sit on that for a second. She, Let that she, one soak in. Pretty brilliant. I I, I call that a Dandyism. <laughs> she, she's an amazing teacher on leadership and influence and team building, and oh, she's wonderful. Gosh, it's so good. So I could spend hours and hours talking to you, uh, but I need to land the plane at some point for everybody's well-being. Um, so I'm interested to know what gets you out of bed every single day at this point, because I feel like you have had a successful career up to this point. Um, again, I kind of joked in the beginning, you've heard your bio read thousands and thousands of times, I'm sure. Um, you've written multiple successful books. Um, and some plunks, and some ones that didn't do well. So I, I don't want people <laughs> to think it's been all just, uh, you know, one success after the other. A lot, yeah. lot more failures and successes, but that's how we do it. You keep, you know, yeah. building up. That's fair. But, but, but what is it now? Like, why do you want to get out of bed tomorrow morning? I love what I do. You know, I mean, I, I think it comes down to that. And, and is I that go deeper into that and say that, you know, it's uh, no, I just really enjoy it. And is there a part that like specifically attracts you more than another in terms of, I mean, is it, is it the people? Is it the individual person? Is it communicating the principle? Like what is it inside of that? That like, when you say, I love what I do, what, what part of that do is, is what really impacts you the most? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I feel like I'm able to bring value to others through the various, uh, various whether, you know, social media, books, speaking. I don't speak as much as I used to because at 62, I just don't want to travel as much as yeah. I used to have to. And I, I never even liked it when I was younger, but it was something you did because you kind of had to. There's yeah, always that yeah. cost-benefit analysis, right? You know, it's, it's I, I want to be a speaker. Don't love the travel, but... You know, they're not going to come to me and pay me that kind of money. So I've got to go to that, right? <laughs> but, uh, but I loved what I did enough that I could put up with the travel. Now, as I get older, I'm just not willing to put up with the things I don't like as much as I used to. So I limit my speaking to 20. Out of state, I'll do 20 a year and that's it. Whereas I used to do a whole, whole lot more than that. Uh, but between that and, you know, doing videos and putting on, play, uh, putting on some, some um, events here in Florida and our building our team of certified go-giver speakers. Hey, it's a lot of fun. And I get to meet a lot of great people and engage with a lot of fantastic people. I mean, you know, again, you know, from a distance, you know, being able to observe, uh, even just now being connected to you on LinkedIn. I mean, it, it's so apparent that you love what you do. I love to watch you uh, again. Like I think when I shared the, you know, my, my favorites of 2019 and you were in there and I tagged you and just watching you engage with people, it got me really excited because I think again, like, you know, so many people, and I appreciate you saying, you know, there was a lot of failure in there too, but people get to this place where they've received some notoriety, they've achieved some level of success, whatever that is for them. And then they separate themselves from doing some of the things that got them there. And so I just really appreciate the fact that, you know, sometimes adding value to somebody is just letting them know that, you know, that they're there or that you respond to them. And so I just, I love to see you do that. I really wish more people would. So it's been super cool to see that. 
Yeah. Um, so what are some of the best ways uh, to people, for people to get in contact with you, to connect with you? You talked about some stuff you're doing out in Florida, speaker bureau, or uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, some so, workshops and, you know, multi-day workshops and, and different things where we have a lot less people there so we can do much more, uh, you know, uh, much more back and forth and audience sharing with each other and those sort mm -hmm. of things. I love those. Those are so much fun. Hey, I love the big crowds too. I love the tens of <laughs> you know, 10,000 people in an audience and, and those are, have a great energy about them, but I really love the, the intimate audiences that over a couple of days you get to know everybody and everyone knows each other and there's all this great back and forth sharing and oh, it's, it, it's fantastic. So we really enjoy that. Um, but uh, yeah, they can visit Berg, B-U-R-G.com and uh, there's a lot of information there. All right, so berg.com is the place to go. If you're listening to this today and you have not yet picked up a copy of The Go-Giver, let me know and I will find a way to get you a copy uh, because I just believe that deeply in it having a positive impact on you. Um, again, Bob, I mean, I, I've said this a couple of times, but thank you, um, you know, for your time today. Definitely, I know this is going to be of significant value to people listening. Um, I shared the story that, I mean, you've had a personal uh, and professional impact on my life. Uh, so I appreciate the time that uh, you and John took in, in authoring these books and really investing into a principle that uh, I think needs to continue to be told over and over again, because as simple as it may sound, it really is difficult until we dig into it. And so thank you. I really appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. My pleasure. Thank you. Keep up the great work you're doing. Thank you, Bob. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. As I said in the very beginning, it was going to be, and it became one of my favorites. I will continue to share this as often as I possibly can. It is about giving value to other people and watching just so much that will happen as the result of doing that. Uh, if you have any feedback, questions, concerns, please feel free to reach out to me. More than happy to do what I can to add value to your life. With that, we are out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.